What's up? It's Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. Thanks for listening to the Under the Hood podcast presented by Coors Light. Stay inside and buy your Coors Light online. Find out how at get.coorslight.com. Coors Light, take time to chill. This is Under the Hood. Under the Hood podcasts are available now on the all-new ESPN Chicago app. Available on your device now. This is ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. Glad if you're with us here on this Thursday night, Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the brand new ESPN Chicago app. Let's talk baseball. When will baseball return? We turn to KBO analyst Jesse Rogers with us here on ESPN 1000. Hello, Jess. Good evening, Jay Hood. I can tell you all about the KBO because I saw two innings today. <laughs> now, they called you up uh, on the broadcast. They reached out to you to get your thoughts on the labor situation. Uh, what, what time was the call? Okay, so they had told me a few days ago, hey, we want to have you on a KBO broadcast. But they didn't tell me when. And so my, my phone was ringing and getting text messages, though it was on silent, at 6.07 a.m. Mm-hmm. And miraculously, I woke up at 6.30, because I usually sleep till around noon, Jay Hood. Yes. And so at 6.30, I see all these missed calls, missed texts from producers and stuff, and they're, they're like, so I call back, like, hey, can you come on the KBO? I'm like, I, 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 I look like hell right now. Let me, can I just splash some water in my face? So they gave me about a half an hour, and I was on a little bit after 7. So it worked out okay. Um, I was half awake, which means I was also half asleep, so I have no idea what I said. <laughs> That's unbelievable. It's just, but did True you get story. any insight? Is there any players that you saw there? Uh, oh, no? in the KBO? Yeah. Scouting? Is that what you mean? Yeah. yeah no, just... uh, I, I watched two innings, but I couldn't tell you one thing that I saw. I mean, I was just like trying to f- focus on Eduardo Perez and Kyle Ravich, and uh, I didn't really notice anything about the game. Boy, that's an early wake-up call, but this is the time that these games are taking place. That's that's live, not live to tape, but that's live live, right? Yeah, I know, I know. It's the only live baseball we have right now. Maybe wow. in a month or so we'll, we'll we'll have something different to watch here in the States at a much, much more normal time, but right now that's all we have. I guess this is not – I don't. I know that you don't know the answer. I don't know the answer. I'm just wondering whether or not Korea has considered just kind of trickling in some fans here and there because it's just – it's open and they've got, of course, the painted-on fans, uh, you know, I mean, behind home plate. I wonder will they start just bringing in a few fans in there? Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. Uh, we saw the governor of Texas today announce that some fans will be allowed into stadiums later this summer, so – uh, I don't know where Korea is on their on their timeline, but it, it, you, you would think it might happen. It could happen at, at Wrigley Field, for all we know. No one can predict what August, September is going to look like. Um, so I think anything's possible. I, I think we're moving in the right direction. It's hard to tell, depending on the news, right? Uh, hot spots yeah. pop up, but um, if things progress, you never know. By September, October, 25% of Wrigley could be full. And before that, the, the most interesting thing in terms of that whole aspect, fans, is, is the rooftops. The Cubs, and, and I guess the Cardinals recreated their own little uh, rooftop situation there as well, but no one really thinks of it that way. I mean, everybody knows about the Wrigley rooftops. They, I know they are looking into uh, allowing a certain amount of people in there, even if you can't get into Wrigley Field. So think about Chris Bryant hitting a home run and the camera pans to the rooftops for 
you know, 10 people on five, six rooftops cheering and screaming and stuff. That would be kind of a cool site that would go viral, of course. The only place in America to, to watch a baseball game, I, again, I guess maybe St. Louis, they, they've created that as well outside the park. But um, that would be quite the sight, um, at least to start. You'd get to watch from up there. That would be the hottest ticket in town. Yeah, no question. I I, um, I just think this whole thing is uneven. I saw this, the same story you saw with Texas. I mean that the the Rangers can be able to play uh, if they want to, and with twenty five percent, just like it, so. If Major League Baseball starts, we don't even know if they if we're even going to see these teams play at their own home ballparks. But Texas is wide open. A few other states are wide open. It's just this is just a mess, Jesse. The think, whole thing. Think of this. Think how silly this is. Texas, maybe, maybe some other teams will have a home field advantage that other teams won't have. You know, now, granted, it's 25% of the crowd, but at least they'll be cheering their home team, right? So some teams will get a little bit more, and maybe maybe eventually it's 50% there and 10% somewhere else. So it is it is really crazy. Um, and I, it doesn't seem like there's going to be a, a set strategy, at least that I know of. I guess they got to deal with one thing at a time, getting back on the field. And then maybe it'll be a uniform thing with fans. But I don't think so. I mean, if one city can allow fans, the other can't, so be it, right? More, yeah. some, some is better than none. And um, apparently Texas is going to be first and foremost in that, in that regard, allowing fans in the stands. It's interesting, Jesse. Uh, we had this conversation yesterday about the minor leaguers having to fend for themselves, and then we come to find out all the massive cuts around minor league baseball today. What was your initial reaction when the news came down? Oh, definitely not surprised. This was when they, uh, the end of some of their uh, the payment and, uh, to the players. And the thing is, look, they are furloughing major league employees who work every day, who are, have been going to the office. I mean, the minor leaguers are going to feel the brunt of that as well. If they're furloughing uh, major uh, uh, front office executives and cutting their pay, well, it's going to trickle all the way down to that, we know. It's, it's just sad. It's probably the end of some careers in, in a lot of ways, you know, single or double-A guys that, weren't moving up anyway. Um, they're going to contract some teams. This is a, this is a bloodletting when it comes to the minor leagues for sure. Now, twenty lucky guys will be kept on the you know with the big league team, and that's going to be interesting. You know, they're going to have a thirty-man roster. We think then an extra twenty in case of injuries and things like that. That extra twenty is not going to interact with the thirty because of COVID and everything. They want to keep them separate, and they but they they have to stay sharp. So I, I don't know. Eight a.m. in the morning. Uh, those 20 might work out at Wrigley, probably won't even be Wrigley, probably be at a college or high school field, and they'll try to stay sharp playing against each other, and then if one of them's needed, you insert them in the roster. It's, 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 it's going to be a weird year if they, if they actually play, but you make the best of it. Hopefully it's entertaining baseball. That's the thing, you know, if you want to move this thing forward, the, the players are probably going to ask for, um, to play more games so they can get paid more. But I, I don't love that idea from a baseball perspective because – if you're going to try to fit 100 games into into 80 days, so to speak, it's going to be some sloppy baseball. It's going to be some bad baseball. Now, maybe they extend things into October and later. Then it's going to be bad baseball because of weather. So I loved the 82-game idea, but obviously the players want to get paid some more. And um, we'll see We'll see where this thing goes. It's still pretty early in the economic discussions. A week from now, if things aren't advancing, then I'd start to get nervous. Jesse Rogers with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. Jesse, you understand both sides of this. You've talked to players. You know people that have talked to owners. So, Jesse, you're the arbitrator. You're the guy that's in the middle of this. How do you bring both sides together if the, if you are the guy that's in charge to be able to get this done? 
you, you remind each other what's at stake here. You, you, you turn on the news and you show that the NBA is negotiating Orlando. The NHL is going to pick a couple cities. Um, other places are opening back up and getting back to you know a little bit of normalcy in some ways. Restaurants. I mean, you can't be the lone big-time business to, 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 to hope be held back. And it, 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 Jeff Passes said it on the air today. If they don't play, it's on both of on both sides, without a doubt. So slowly but surely, there is a, there's a big canyon right now. You just have to close the gap and, and come together again. I said yesterday to you, uh, the, the owners are off the revenue sharing thing. They're onto this sliding scale. The players are going to respond with with maybe playing more games so they could get paid more. The owners might say that's not going to work. We really don't make that much more money if we play 10 more games or something. Players will say, well, maybe you can defer some money, which is, of course, you know, you and I have talked about this. So you, you find that middle ground. Um, you see, I don't know if you've seen this uh, thing that, that um, uh, some of the players are tweeting out. I don't know the website's medium. And uh, it's from a venture capitalist that wrote this, a big-time baseball fan, restarting Major League Baseball, motivation and manipulation. And he states exactly the things I've said, and I think you've said, the owners are manipulating the players. And if you just look at the dollars in the players and, the, and, their, and what they've been doing and complaining a little bit publicly, the tweets from Max Scherzer, you're, 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 gonna, you're, gonna, you're not seeing the big picture. The big picture is the owners manipulating the players. I don't care how much they're making. They're being manipulated. So uh, if you get a chance to read this, uh, it's on Medium. It's, it's something the players are, re- are circulating among themselves. And I, I'm sorry, I, I, the risk and the reward comes from ownership. They've reaped rewards for 19 straight years. Don't quote me on that. I believe it's 19 straight years they've, they've, the revenues have gone up. This is one year where it's not going to go up. It's unexpected, but that's what happens to businesses sometimes. Most businesses that have a failing year, something unexpected happens. Maybe not most, but you know that's how you have a failing year. Something you didn't foresee happens. Now, this is something dramatic, no doubt, Jay Hood, but you know what? They've got to carry the losses, and the, the venture capitalist in the, that wrote this says the three or four ways to go about this. Either go get a loan, sell part of your team, which is something Ricketts has already done. He sold minority shares. Um, what else does he say? Uh, get a bank loan, sell part of your team, sure. issue a structured debt instrument to a private equity firm, negotiate better with the MLPPA to come up with a, a solution. So uh, sorry to go long-winded, but but I just I agree with that column. They are manipulating the players into looking bad, and it could hurt hurt the game for years to come. No, that's all. That's all good information. I I just think that it's an, it's embarrassing for the owners as a whole to come across destitute financially, as if to say. Boy, you know, we're not having games. I understand there's a lot of money that's on the line when you continue to go day after day, Jesse, with no games, no merchandise, no revenue stream coming in. But it comes across like it's hand to pocket, like they're like the owners are going check to check saying, I don't know if I can pay my my uh, my gas bill this month. I'm going to have to defer. I'm going to have to see if I can get it done in a couple couple of months that I, I know owners have money. I understand it's a t- difficult time, but it comes across as if if there's no games and we just can't pay because we have nothing. They have they have more than nothing. Yeah, they do. I mean, just look at Tom's bank account. If we could ever get a hold of it, look. <laughs> again, it's there's a big picture here. The players, okay, the owners are going to lose money either way this year. It's just not sure. going to be a good year. We know that half the season's lost. They're they're going to play without fans. They're going to lose money either way. The players feel like once the owners have some control. When do they have control? Well, free agency, right? That the owners own the, have the purse strings. 
once the owners get control, collective bargaining agreement is up in a year. They have some control over that because they have to negotiate a new one. Once they get control back, they're going to screw the players anyway. Anyway. So the players are thinking, okay, bad days are ahead. So we better get ours while we can. And, and, and what does that mean? Well, they have signed contracts, part of a union, that have been collectively bargained right now in front of them, right? Mookie right. Betts has a contract right now. In three months, he's going or four months, he's going to be a free agent. He has no control at that point or, you know, a li- a less because they own the purse string. So you see what I'm getting at? They yep. think they're, they're screwed either way because of the losses the, 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 the owners are incurring. But at least they should get theirs right now because they have signed contracts and, and, and an agreement they believe was negotiated in March where they said they'd get paid prorated per game salary. I've seen where it's been written, Jesse, by you, uh, Jeff Passan, and others about the players as of late are digging their heels in saying that 82 games may be a non-starter. They would like to play, obviously, more because you want to be able to be get paid more. Does 100 seem likely? No, I don't think it, it does. I don't think it does. And maybe I'm being a little biased because I, I don't want to see it because I think it'll be really sloppy baseball. I'll just be chaotic trying to fit in 100 games and maybe playing into November and neutral sites and all this stuff. I, I mean, if it's the if it's the last option and the owners find a way to agree, yeah, I mean, I guess, but I I don't think it, it, it's that viable starting in, in early to mid-July to play 100 games uh, without really upending things. And again, that means playing at neutral sites, the playoffs. Um, so, I mean, that was, you know, it was the initial thought if they could start in June, maybe a hundred, but to get a hundred in, in, in three months is difficult. And, and I, I don't know, uh, the owners continue to say that they don't, they don't want more games because they really don't make that much more money that they feel like every game played, they lose money. If they play the, if they pay the players a full prorated salary, they lose money. Now, uh, you know, uh, the TV ratings are going to go sky high because everyone's going to be at home watching compared to being at the park. But I guess that's only every, an extra 38,000 every day that, that aren't at Wrigley Field. Um, so I don't think 100 games is, is feasible for a lot of little reasons. But I guess it's not impossible. I guess that's the best way to say it. It's the 9 o'clock hour, Jesse, and I need you to give me a little kernel. I mean, not, not what you'd give Cap and Company, you know, the AP copy. You know, not, not, not that. Not, not Waddle and Sylvie, you know, Carmen. Yep. Give me a little something. Give me a little yeah, something not, that you've heard from on the player side. Give me a kernel that you haven't told the other shows. How, how about a quote from an agent, a prominent ah, agent? I can't, ah. I can't give you his name, but how about a text that I got from him? The ah. last text, and this guy sends me some good some doozies. Now, this is exclusive, um, right? Exclusive to Under the Hood, right? Yeah. I said, what do you make of the situation right now? Too fluid and too explosive. MLB made a problematic situation damn near impossible, presented cooked books with illogical numbers, and made a proposal they knew was DOA and designed to create inner, inner conflict. Manfred galvanized the PA, the Players Association, with their immoral, unprofessional conduct and their inability to ever tell the truth. <laughs> so tell us oh, how you really feel, Mr. Agent, you know? <laughs> oh, boy, that's... that's, a dude that's... That he, but that's, what, that's where they're coming from. There's so much mistrust based on, on the recent past. And also, you know, here's the thing. If the owners wanted to start in an extreme spot to show that they... And then come off of that, you know what I mean? You know how you do that in negotiations? Maybe, yes. maybe they overplayed their hand. Maybe they started too extreme and now have, have developed no goodwill. So the next thing they need to do is show some sign of, of, of goodwill or some, some something. Maybe, you know, again, revenue sharing, 
to this proposal wasn't a big enough jump for players to feel like the owners were, were, were working with them. I thought maybe it was a good start, and, and, and I kind of still think it is. You know, they never officially proposed the revenue sharing. They, they instead did this sliding scale. They need to do a little bit more. So I don't get texts like that. Hmm. That's good stuff. That's a, that's an exclusive right there, Jesse. That's what I like, the little nuggets. I like yeah. that. You saved that I'd for the show. I'd probably be shot if I told you who said it because that's just, you know, an off-the-record thing. But off-the-record and not for attribution are kind of similar type stuff, right? You know, <laughs> you can. You, I didn't say his name, but I, I, I read the text. Big deal. <laughs> I'm glad that you're trying to figure this out now while we're just happy you read the text already. And I'll say it wasn't Scott Boris. He's got his own problems. No, I understand. He he saves those for op-ed pieces. He would never waste his time with you with that. Yeah, and how about this email that leaked uh, to the Associated Press where he teed up Ricketts mm-hmm. uh, in particular for buying up uh, you know the area around Wrigley and getting into debt, and now he, he wants to put the losses on the players. Kind of interesting. Well, this is great because – this will have hopefully not long-term ramifications, but it's long enough. But it just now we're starting to see the fourth wall open, Jess. Now we're starting to see the real feelings on both sides. Yeah, you're right. The, the Band-Aid is off, so to speak. They need to put it back on and get behind closed doors and work this out, or there won't be baseball this year, and, and all hell will break loose. Um, I still think it'll get there. Uh, here's the prediction. I'll keep saying it, the 11th hour. If, if the deadline is June 5th, then at 11.50 p.m. June 4th, they'll have an agreement. That's my prediction. And right now, I don't know of a deadline. It's probably early June. That's that, you know, common sense. But I don't think they have an exact date and time. But they need to come up with one because that's when a deal will get done. There we go. Fireworks from Jesse Rogers. That's what we wanted. Jesse, as always, I appreciate it. Thanks for making us smarter. Well, I don't know about that, but it was nice to join you. Take care, man. <laughs> I mean, all that information. What do you mean? Just, we didn't know that before you came on the line. Well, that's true. The text you didn't know about, right? So there <laughs> <No>. you go. <laughs> Thank you, Jesse. <laughs> all right. Be well. It's Jesse Rogers who covers the uh, the Cubs and Major League Baseball for ESPN.com with me, Jonathan Hood, right here on ESPN 1000. This is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. You're listening to Under the Hood. Get the ESPN Chicago app for podcasts and the live stream from anywhere, anywhere, anywhere. Download in the app store today. This is ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. We'll hear from Darnell Mayberry, who covers the NBA and the Bulls, coming up at 930 right here on Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. People are asking on social media, why are the citizens of St. Paul and Minneapolis burning the city down? Not necessarily burning the city down, but why are there protesters out there that are burning the auto zone and some of the other local stores? It's all because of uh, another unnecessary killing. It's interesting that that is the question that is being posed of, you know, why are these citizens out Black, white, Latino, everyone else, and they're out there and they're protesting and they're burning down uh, parts of their city. The question should be asked, why is it that there is another police officer that asserted himself in a situation where it could have just been an arrest and throwing uh, someone that deserved to be in jail 
uh, in jail or put them in the back of the squad car and then take them off to jail? How come that that's not the first question? The first question should be, why is there civil unrest happening? Well, it's happening because, once again, there is police brutality that's happening in this country. We've seen this in our city. We've seen this now. I'm looking at the coverage right now in Minneapolis, and there are, are certain businesses that are on fire. Well, here's the reason why it happens. It happens because people get frustrated when they continue to see the same things in their streets, same things on their mobile device, same thing that they see uh, on their social media. Another African-American is dead, either gunned down or he is killed because the police are overzealous, because the police are not doing their job to serve and protect. And all these police cars we have in our cities serve and protect The police officer that did that to uh, George Floyd was not there to serve and protect. He was there to prove a point. Four officers on the scene. One buries his knee in the back of the neck of George Floyd. The other three stand around. And once again, through the coverage, it is trying to pick apart, well, what exactly happened in this camera angle or this camera angle? What happened was, is that it has really been second verse, same as the first. The riots that we've seen in Chicago and Detroit, with the riots we saw in the 40s, the 60s, the 70s, the riots happened because people get tired of seeing the same story, where there's supposed to be a conduit, a relationship between police and community, And there's always some officer that wants to do more than serve and protect. They want to serve, protect, dominate, and kill. That's not a blanket statement of all police. That's just those that are messing it up for other police officers that do the job the right way. And it gives the good police officers a bad name. People wonder what the story is. Like, how does this get better? How You know how it gets better? Even though it is a fraternity and a sorority of police officers, the men in blue, the women in blue, those that serve and protect, you know what? It's time for them, the good officers, to speak up and say something. No one's going to throw you out of the fraternity or the sorority just because um, you're speaking out on bad officers. This officer now that decided to take a life of George Floyd took the life of this guy instead of just putting him in the back of the squad car and taking him to jail to find out what's going on. Now, you want to be able to take it 10 steps further and take a life. And so we're seeing this coverage on a nightly basis now. And this is, I believe, night three or night four of this, where people are protesting. And the question is, why? It makes no sense. Why would you burn down your community? That doesn't make any sense. No, the number one question is, why is it that we continue to see police officers do this to black people in this country? That's the, that's the question. That's the question. And if you want an answer to it, people are just tired of, of, of what's going on on a regular basis here where we're seeing this. You can deny it. You can turn a blind eye to it, but it's happening. You can't avoid it. I, can, I, I have a, a social media filled with sports stories, but this story continues to permeate on my Twitter and on my Facebook and other places because people are concerned of why is this continuing to happen. This, mean, this is not an anti-police statement. It's a statement on people. Uh, why can't people be able to just 
uh, not just get along, but to treat people like human beings. I respect you, and you respect me. I can help you, you can help me. This, high, this idea that this arrogance that we have in our world where you feel like I can just take your life just like that just because is really unfortunate and sad. It's been that way for a long time, but it would just continues to come to the forefront. These stories of George Floyd have happened, but we just have more video now. Now you're seeing the executions on film. As a lot of the executions you read about in newspapers and periodicals, and now you see them happening on film. And until the police officers are able to say something about this and not turn a blind eye to it, then that's going to be a step in the right direction. Stephen Jackson, who I had no idea had an even relationship with George Floyd. I noticed, and Eric mentioned it too, he's like, he saw the picture of George Floyd. He's like, well, that's interesting. He looks a lot like Stephen Jackson. That's because they, uh, that he was known as Twin, because Stephen Jackson, the former NBA player and a longtime analyst, um, and George Floyd look alike. It's interesting. Uh, some thoughts from Stephen Jackson about George Floyd. Can you just tell us about him? You didn't call him George. You called him, you called him Twin. Yeah, I've I've heard George in the last couple of days more than I've heard in my whole life. And we had a 20 plus year relationship. Uh, his name was always Floyd or twin. And, you know, I, and nine out of 10 times we called each other twin. He was just a great dude, man. Somebody that supported me genuinely. Somebody that wanted to be a protector and provider for everybody around him. Uh, one of those guys where you live on one side of the town and your side of the town is not agreeing with the other side. And they hate each other, but he's the only guy that can move around the city and everybody gets along with him. That was Floyd. And uh, I'm, I'm going to miss my friend, man. I, I, you very seldom get people, especially when you have the success I've had, you very seldom get people that support you genuinely with no yeah. motives. Yeah. Uh, Floyd was that to me, and uh, I, I'm, I'm going to miss him. Yeah, that he didn't want anything from you. you. You said that he didn't have a hateful bone in his body. I mean, obviously, he was a father, too. He had a six-year-old daughter. Can you just tell tell people about what we have all lost in losing him? Yeah, he has, he has two daughters. And, and what, what what really bothers me about that is last night I was talking to his oldest daughter, his, uh, his uh, youngest daughter, Gigi, and um, mother. And um, the whole time I'm talking to her, Gigi is screaming in the background and just crying and just not doing well, man. And, and it, it, it sucks that the whole world had to see my friend go that way. Um, that's not the way he was supposed to go. He didn't deserve that. Um, but the way that people are, are supporting for him and standing up for him, the way I'm going to stand up and support him, uh, his death will not be in vain. Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. How you doing? Follow us on the gram at IGJHood and at ESPN underscore Chicago. ESPN 1000. Chicago's home for sports. Glad that you're with us here on ESPN 1000 and the brand new ESPN Chicago app. Let's talk some Bulls in the NBA. Can the, we see the NBA right around the corner? Hopefully that'll be the case as we go to theathletic.com and speak with Darnell Mayberry. He joins us here on ESPN 1000. Darnell Jonathan Hood, thanks so much for your time. Thanks for having me. Uh, first and foremost, I need to know, man, how's the hair? How's the hair doing right now during this <laughs> pandemic? I'm I'm one of the lucky brothers, man. I shave, so I'm good. Oh, so you're good. Okay, okay. I'm good. I'm good. Uh, I envy your brothers with the with the barber problems, but 
that's not my reality. So I'm good. So you're all the way down to the nub. Is you like your your hair side because here's here's the reason I ask is because like cats like me uh, sporting the afro have not had a haircut since uh, early March, and like you know it's bad on Goodwill, right? Oh my God, Good, <laughs> Goodwill, one of the best heads of hair in the NBA, right? This you know he's got he's got classic Murray's waves. And I asked him, right. I said, what, what's going on with you and your hair? He said, man, he said, I've been wa- going around the crib with a cap. He says, I can't even stand to see myself even in the cap. So he's having a hard time in Detroit. <laughs> yeah, I can, I can imagine. He told me one time how much he, spent on, he spends on haircuts. I couldn't believe it. So <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to have come on home, man. As they say, I, I had to come on home. Okay. All right. Well, I'm still, I, I have this afro going, so uh, I guess... Whenever it's available, I'll be going to the barbershop. I should, I should be the first one there camped out like at midnight waiting for the barber to turn the key. My God, it's, it's horrible. You and um, the mayor. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's similar, actually, to be, yeah, being Lightfoot. Yeah. That's, that's for sure. It's a big afro going. Um, so I, I have not spoken to you since the changes in the front office for the Bulls with Mark Eversley and Arturis Karnaschovas. Um, what kind of impact do you believe that these two can make as this is going to be brand new for both of them? I think the first thing is going to be in the relationship building department. I mean, they, these guys, from everything I've heard, uh, have extraordinary relationships with people throughout the league and people on the fringes of the league. Uh, you know, Mark Eversley, the GM, coming in with his Nike background, of course. Uh, so I think things like that are going to help with player acquisitions and player retention. How about Connor Chauvis coming out of Denver? You know, everything we're hearing is, is how much of an international um, uh, basketball mind he, he is and, and uh, how respected he is internationally. So the one thing I'm curious to see is how that's going to then lead to international players coming over uh, and, and how that might be a difference from what we've seen in the past. So, Darnell, you've been here uh, a few years now seeing how how everything works with the Bulls organization. And so based on your, your time here covering the Bulls, what have you noticed about the Bulls organization uh, that stands out to you the most? Oh, man, I've suffered a lot of losing since I've came along, man. Besides there, that. Not, <laughs> yes. There, yes, you have. There hasn't, been, there hasn't been a very good culture over there. Uh, since I started. you got to remember, I, I started in 2017. My second day on the job was when Bobby Portis punched Nico. Uh, mm-hmm. And so it's kind of been downhill from there uh, for the Bulls. And with some, with some moments of, of excitement, some, some joy here and there with Kobe White and Wendell Carter Jr. coming along, Larry Markkinen, uh, Zach Levine obviously scoring. They've got pieces, um, but they just, they, they've suffered a lot of losing. And I can't sugarcoat it, my man. That's like that's what it's been for the three years that I've been covering the team. Darnell Mayberry from the Athletic dot com with Jonathan Hood on ESPN one thousand and the ESPN Chicago app. 
Okay, so I'll dig a little deeper then. Since you're talking about the players, let's let me go. I asked you about the organization, so I'll, I'll do. I'll go a little deeper with you. You come from Oklahoma City, covering uh, the Thunder, a a, a a supreme organization over the years under Sam Presti. Um, if you are an NBA fan, you know the pedigree of the Thunder and what they have done. How do you look at what the Thunder have built with Presti versus your time here with Pax and Gar before they were um, reassigned? You know, I think the the one thing is, you know, they both kind of got lucky in a sense with getting generational players, generational talents. Um, Derrick Rose, unfortunately, having the injury injuries that he had, did derail a lot of the, the team's progress. And I know that's a, a lame excuse in a lot of people's minds for why the team hasn't gotten back on track. But um, it, it is a fact. I mean, his, his injuries played a big part in where this franchise is today. Um, so, I mean, that's the, that's the one big difference. Um, I, I would have liked to have seen Derek obviously stay healthy and then see what could have come of that era. Uh, and just like, you know, the Thunder guys got away – for obvious reasons, you know, obviously that book is that chapter is closed. But mm. you know, there's a lot of differences, man. But but the biggest thing is the winning culture that Sam Presti created down there versus what the Bulls have struggled to sustain here in Chicago. By the way, the the thirty for thirty that needs to be made, it has to be those those Thunder teams that you covered, right? <laughs> we need oh, that. Oh my goodness, we need man, that, man. You don't have any idea how much I talk to my people back in OKC about. How much we're looking forward to that thirty for thirty? <sighs> That's not going to be one day. That that has to be multiple episodes because you're getting it from a lot of different points of view. But you got to get the KD piece. You got to get Russ's thoughts. You got to get James Harden's thoughts. You know, it goes to Presti. Some of the players that are on the team. The t- uh, guys that are on the team now. That's not one day, D. That that's that's three four days. And and you've got the Seattle component that you've got half the country who feels like the team shouldn't be there in the first place. So, <laughs> right. You, right, you know, there's still that, and they're they're making documentaries about the Sonics still, and and so you know, it's a compelling story. Yeah, that and you're going to be on it. You got you you were there. You you have to be that that thing there is so layered. And there's so much hurt and so many question marks on why this talented group with James Harden, before he was James Harden, right, before the beard, um, why this team couldn't have won a championship. Uh, or what? Or or the, what? The hurt feelings between some of those players. That that's one of the biggest head scratchers of the last ten plus years in this business, is it not? Yeah, starting with that James Harden trade, which has been you know debated to death, but. Um, there, there's a lot of pinnacles to that story um, that a lot of people would 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 lo- love to hear some answers to, uh, but I don't think they're going to come out for a very very long time because you're dealing with a guy like Russell Westbrook who has a lot of those those answers. That's going to be like Michael Jordan, like holding <laughs> yeah. on to all of that for so long. That's going to be Russell Westbrook. I can't wait. <laughs> I can't wait. So here's what it is. It starts off with you talking about it. Then they go over to and they talk to KD. Then Jim Ross, <laughs> and then Barry Trammell, <laughs> and then you just it just keeps going on and on. Just like Jim Ross gonna be like, I don't understand how going to Thunder win a championship. By God, I mean I was there front row. I, I can't wait. That's gonna be a hell of hell of a story to tell. That's for sure. You know, um, one thing. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead, sir. No, I was just I was just thinking about this the other day. Chris Paul, you know, started his career in OKC, 
And, you know, there's a lot of rumors going around now, and everyone thinks they got to trade him because of the contract. But how cool would it be for him to start his career there and then finish there with the Thunder with what he's doing for that team and the position he had them in before this lockdown? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that would be very interesting to see because all the whole storyline going into it was, oh, my God, I know he doesn't want to be there. Right, exactly. <laughs> right, and he's doing just fine. As we talked to Darnell yep. Mayberry from TheAthletic.com with Jonathan Hood on Under the Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. Um, so uh, I am curious about your thoughts in The Last Dance. Again, we have not spoken since some of these stories have come out. Does The Last Dance help or hurt the future of the Bulls? Oh, good question. I think it um, – I don't want to take the easy answer here, but I, I think it all depends on what this new regime does. If they can go out there and get a star player in here uh, who can kind of create a new excitement, a new era, um, I think the Bulls will be just fine. And the, the Jordan era could be the Jordan era. And, I mean, we saw it with D. Rose. D. Rose was building an era where it, you had Jordan in his time, and then it was about to be his time. It was his time for that period of time. Um, so I think that can happen again, and I think it can be separate and in and of itself for the, the Jordan years. Yeah, the reason why I ask is because uh, even though this is Michael Reinsdorf and he's overseeing it, you know that Jerry Reinsdorf is there, and Jerry was very prominent in that in that documentary. And just it, it, it comes from the view, D, of of, um, of – Michael Jordan, the way he remembers things, but still, the late Jerry Krause and and also Jerry Reinsdorf do not look good in this documentary because I live that um, being from Chicago. It uh, it is it was n- unbelievable. Every day you're open up the newspaper and there are stories about how Krause and Reinsdorf were ready to unplug this thing uh, on the record. On the record, not not just like rumored innuendo. Talking about on the record, saying in during the sixth championship, we're ready to uh, to turn this loose. And, and it's like if that's the case, fine. But that shouldn't be on the record. But it was out there along with the Jordan rules. And so I just wonder, like, what does a twenty three, twenty four, twenty five year old cat look at when they see this documentary? Do, do they say, man, you know, that's really messed up during that era? Or, wow, I can't go back into this because Jerry Reinsdorf is still there because it's not a good look. Yeah, if they get a winner, if they get a Giannis, if they mm-hmm. get an Anthony Davis, does anyone, does that same 23, 24-year-old care? I don't think so. No, no. They can look at it like it's something that was in the past. And it's like, wow, that was that was an interesting story. I didn't know those things that came out. and But... You know, I I would say that with a clean slate with Eversley and Karnaschovas, and because you mentioned the Nike uh, angle with with Eversley, Karnaschovas, because of his international flair and just kind of because he's known in the uh, in NBA circles, it helps because it's new. It feels fresh. Yeah, no doubt about it. Whoever they were, were going to hire, we're going to be get a hero's welcome because they weren't Garth Foreman and John Paxson. So um, now they've got to show improve and and that's what it comes down to can they go out there and get this talent uh the talent that it takes to become a playoff team and can they sustain that and go make these deep playoff runs which is what it's all about so um you know it's good that they're in here and it's good that everyone raves about them but now they've got some work to do i mean they've got to they've got to go out there and show and prove that they can get the job done and the honeymoon phase will quickly be over as you know oh there's no question 
I, I want to find out um, your thoughts on the NBA and its return. I've been, I was talking earlier about uh, Major League Baseball where they seem like they're so far apart and it's a glacier uh, movement between the players and owners just trying to figure out how they can be able to uh, divvy this money up and how the money will um, be, uh, be assessed. What are your thoughts on the NBA and how soon do you think it can return just based on the owners and, and the players' relationship? I think it can return. I'm, I'm much more optimistic now than I was a month ago. Um, and I think there's still a lot of uncertainty and a lot of details that need to be worked out. But it sounds like the, the league is making progress from all the reports that, that are coming out from a national level. So um, I'm more optimistic now that, that we could see basketball resume this summer. Whether I want to see the Bulls again play the final 17 is another game, another story. <laughs> Uh, no, I, I've been saying this whole time, like, that. that's enough of the regular season. That's enough. That's enough. <laughs> right. like, and I think most players agree that it should probably just go straight to the playoffs. Yeah, that's enough. Like, like you are what you are, with pandemic or not, you are what you are. I, there's there's none of the teams in the East or West that's going to catch the eighth seed of either conference. That's enough. Just let them stay home, and let's let's get this thing accelerated so we can figure out, you know, when's the next time we're going to see the season start. Uh, do you have a format uh, that you've considered? Because uh, my head is dizzy from reading all these oh different God. ways. I'm just like... I don't need World Cup. I don't need a NCAA tournament. <laughs> just give me basketball, man. Just just the way it's been. You don't have to experiment just because you have a, a affinity for soccer. If you're Adam Silver or anybody else, yeah, I'm right there with you, and and I'm confused uh, as as much as you are with all the different scenarios and and formats that that people are floating. Um, you know, I, I'm a traditionalist. I you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Um, and I don't, I don't have a problem with just seeding them as they are and, and starting the playoffs and having the regular the format. But I also don't see a problem with trying something new with everything else already messed up. Um, maybe, you know, doing a 1 through 16 and forgetting the conference, I'd like to see how that works out. I'd like to see how much more entertaining those matchups would be. Um, so that's the one that really intrigues me more than any of them. And I think it's also the simplest of, of them all. Yeah, so you're so you're good with that. Is it what is that? Milwaukee, Orlando? Was that the is that the one sixteen? I'm not even sure. It's been so it long is. at this point. Is that I what think, it would be? I think I'm not even looking at the, the standings, but I'm just going by memory. I think I think Milwaukee has the uh, the best schedule. I got to look at this again. But I just I mean, if if it's NCAA tournament style, I I just think that. However it is, just go forth with it. I've always thought that you should probably eliminate divisions uh, and conferences anyway because uh, everything's the same to to me. Again, I'm a traditionalist, and, and I do sort of like the way it is now, mm -hmm. uh, but there's a lot of things that the league has an opportunity to fix right now, and that's the, that's the uh, I guess, the blessing in disguise with everything that's happened is, is that, the, that we could see some real change to how the league is structured. Yeah. Uh, that would, yeah, that would be Milwaukee, Orlando. If we went by best <laughs> records, it went by like best records, right? Best to worst uh, yeah. out of the 16 teams, it'd be that Milwaukee, Orlando, which is going to get anyway. Um, and then you got to figure out that, that two and 15 looks like that could probably would be Toronto and, uh, uh, Toronto and Memphis, uh, which would be interesting. <laughs> so, 
Yeah, because yeah, I got so we got cut up. There, there, so I will ask you this last question about storylines that you enjoyed about the league before it stopped, and because we were on our way to the Battle of L.A. at some point, um, right. just to see the the smaller stories uh, of the upcoming uh, Luca uh, from Dallas watching Morant and with Memphis. Um, trying to figure out if there was going to be a straight up free fall from Philly like that. That thing wasn't working. Uh, uh, COVID-19 stopped Brett Brown from getting fired. Um, so so it's some interesting storylines, was it not? Yeah, there were a lot of interesting ones. And, and the one that, you know, I was really looking forward to seeing was Zion Williamson. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I just I'm so high on this young man that I just really think he's going to be a superstar in this league. And. Uh, I was really looking forward to seeing him string together some games to close out the year. Um, John Morant, the young guys, and then, like you said, the battle for L.A., I just think that was going to be um, uh, one, for, one for the ages in terms of playoff battles in the NBA. So um, I hope we can get some sort of – some form of it going forward. Um, but it's going to be different, and we all know that. It's going to be really different. By the way, if if Katie and Kyrie are healthy, you wouldn't have to, if you were them. Would you play or would you wait until next year? Because there's rumors about that too. I'm sitting out. I'm I'm definitely sitting out. Yeah. But you know, it's his body. It's his choice. It's his decisions. You know, I could I would I would respect that too. But if I'm Katie, I'm sitting out. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you spent some time. I was glad we were able to catch up on some of these stories around the NBA, and hopefully we'll get the league back soon. As long as everyone is safe and healthy and they're tested, uh, I'm all for it. Absolutely, man. We need some. We need something, but we got to do it safely. All right, man. Me and my fro will catch up with you later. <laughs> all right. Take care. <laughs> Darnell Mayberry from TheAthletic.com with me, Jonathan Hood, right here on Under the Hood. This is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. Follow on Twitter at TweetJHood. We thank you for being part of the program here on ESPN 1000, the brand new ESPN Chicago app. Our thanks to Eric Ostrowski on the other side of the glass, our show had Jesse Rogers and also Darnell Mayberry and Jonathan Vauders on it. Special time tomorrow, Friday, will be on at 8 o'clock, 8 to 10, right here on ESPN 1000. We'll have a, a shortened show, but we're going to be on after the odds couple, after Carmen and North are over. It'll be you, me, and Under the Hood between 8 and 10, right here on ESPN 1000. So for Eric, I'm Jonathan. Let's do this tomorrow. Don't forget the ESPN Chicago app. Download it and check out Episodes that you might have missed from Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood.